we're talking about the heart of praise and worship. And this is week seven. We're talking about the secret place. We've been saying the secret place of worship. But it's, it's a place that God has provided for you and me. Jesus went to the cross to provide this place for us. It's an intimate place in his presence where we are distraction-free and where we're face-to-face with him, not because of what we want from him or what we need from him. No, we've put all that on the shelf and we're just there with him. And in this place, he's able to impart himself into us and those impartations of his presence. You know, you look at through the Bible, David, here he was not even born again, a young shepherd out in the desert. If you read the Psalms, God was able to, in that place that he was with David, reveal some of the mysteries of creation in the universe. It's amazing. It's in this place We've talked about it. The foundation of everything that you'll do for God comes out of this place. All the giftings, the plan of God for your life, you find it in the secret place. So we've been talking about this place. We've been talking about worship. Worship is the passionate pursuit of the presence of God. And worship happens as he responds to this heart that's passionately pursuing him. So we talked about a lot of things. You know, what happens is we enter his gates with thanksgiving. And we're just so thankful for all that he's done. You know, we all have a lot to be thankful for. Because we were lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. And now we've been made alive and we're free in Christ. It's amazing. We'll never taste death. The word death that we we will taste on this earth is not spiritual death. We'll never taste that because Jesus tasted it for us. Death, as it talks about with a New Testament believer, is literally the word separation. It's when my spirit separates from my body and I'm with the Lord. To be honest with you, not only will that not hurt, that'll be the most exhilarating feeling you will ever feel in life to be free from this sin nature in your flesh and to be face to face. You'll walk around heaven and you'll go, this is the most incredible place I've ever been. However, it feels like I'm finally at home. It'll feel so natural. You'll look at these angelic beings flying around the throne of God and go, yeah, that's, I've never even imagined anything like that, but man, it just, yeah, it just looks natural, right? So it's amazing how that we enter his courts with thanksgiving. And then what happens as we do that, or enter his gates with thanksgiving, then all of a sudden we come in and we start entering his courts with praise. Because as you thank God, what happens to you is you will start to get a revelation of how great he is. And the Holy Spirit will, he's, the Holy Spirit's leading you into this. Worship's not a, a, a song service. If you'll notice, man, phenomenal singing and instrumental and all this stuff. But did you notice there's something way beyond that? It's the anointing. And it's the Holy Spirit leading us all into this presence of the Lord. And as you get a revelation of the greatness of God, praise just breaks out. Now you have to make a decision to act on this. So you have to, you know, it might not be your, pot, your, your personality, you think, to raise your hands. You'd be surprised how wild and crazy you are when you get a revelation of who Jesus is, right? So literally, you're getting this revelation and you start praising him. And then what happens is all of a sudden now, as you praise him and as you're thanking him, Now you're going to start getting a revelation of how holy he is. His holiness. And how that you're accepted in this holy place. And all of a sudden, your heart is open to him. And you've let go of all the distractions of your life. You're no longer coming to God on what you need from him because you see his greatness. 
you're thankful and you see his holiness and now you realize you don't have any needs. You realize that I'm perfect and entire in him and I want nothing. And now the Father responds and that's when worship happens. So we've been talking about that. I want to encourage you. This is a series because this is so, so much not taught that you'll need to listen to it because God, he will very individually lead you into this place in your life. And I'm telling you, it's a place where you could step into in a moment of time. It'll take you from when you're not feeling good and, and, and it just seems like the storms of life are all over you and you just step and all of a sudden you're at peace because Jesus gave you his peace. See, when you're in faith, you'll always know it because you'll have joy and peace as you believe God. So now let's continue on. I want you to open to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, because John's Gospel, it's interesting. John wrote this. Now, we figure when Jesus called James and John, when he started his earthly ministry in about A.D., what, 30 or right around that time, let's just say, uh, John was probably, they say anywhere from 13 to 16 years old. So let's just put him at 16 years old. Well, John wrote this gospel. It was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was written in A.D. 85. So it was written about 55 years after Jesus said, hey, John, follow me. So he had been walking with Jesus for about 55 years. Uh, if you look at it this way, John would have been maybe the youngest would be maybe 71, right in his early 70s when he wrote this. He had walked with Jesus for a long time. He wrote this book from Ephesus. And if you look at the Gospel of John, it's different. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is like, okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about a lot of the same stuff, and we gain some great insight, different perspectives of the same stories. John, it's as if he focused on something different to give us something more. And we know it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do is kind of take you through, through the book of John because it really reveals some things that we need to see. So in the Gospel of John, chapter, here's an aerial view of the book. Chapters 1 through chapter 12 dealt with Jesus' ministry to the public. Okay? Chapters 13 through chapter 17, it was Jesus' ministry to his disciples. Very individual. Then you have chapters 18 through chapter 21, it talks about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. So the first 12 chapters deal with the public ministry of Jesus, how he dealt with people and situations, but chapters 13 through 17 are very specific to him dealing with his ministry to his disciples. Very important that we look at this. So now, as we see this, in chapters 13 through 17, we have Jesus' final event with his disciples before going to the cross. This was the end of his earthly ministry. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is an important time. It's the last time he's going to be with them before going to the cross. This event, it consisted of the concluding instructions of Jesus' ministry. So think about the importance of this. Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to be crucified. He's going to take our place. And he's going to, be, he's going to literally become a curse to redeem us from the curse of the law. He's going to die and then he'll be resurrected, but it's the last time they will see him before the resurrection. Some of the most amazing declarations and promises of the Bible are found right here. In, verse, in chapters 13 through 17, there's about 50 declarations that are amazing that Jesus made. Very important declarations, getting them ready to start the church. The church age was about to start. The church age, it literally started when Jesus came out of that grave, right? So this is the defining moment in Jesus' earthly ministry. 
These are his closing statements. In other words, this is his final impartation before going to the cross. Now, if you think about Jesus, he said, I only say what I hear my father say. So you could say it this way, these are the father's instruction right before Jesus goes. Jesus, what does he do in these chapters? He reveals a new level and place of personal communion with the Father. He communicates this to his disciples. He's saying, guys, I need, I'm going to talk to you about a new level, a new place of communion with the Father. It's the place Jesus would have said that I've had. But I, 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 want you, I want to get you guys ready because this place, he, he said in John, I'm going to prepare that place for you. So this event, it takes place right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. And, and you could tell in the wording, some of the Greek wordings, that he comes, although he knows as he's coming to Jerusalem, okay, this is it, my time is now. It's time for me to redeem man. He knows that. But I'll tell you, he comes into a full revelation, I believe, of what all that it's going to mean to be made to bear all of man's sin. It was so hard on him that he literally sweat blood. So that means the blood vessels under his skin, the pressure and the stress on his physical body was so great. Why? You know, and, and that's where he prays this prayer of consecration. He's like, Father, if there's any way that we could redeem man without me being made sin. But then he says, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, then we have... 300 to 600 fully armed Roman soldiers coming with Judas Iscariot. And they walk up to Jesus. After, see, after he prays, he went from that, and the angels came and ministered to him. But when he stood up from that last time at prayer, it's the way it should be every time you come out of prayer. Strong in the Lord. He was ready. There was so much anointing on him when the soldiers asked, are you Jesus of Nazareth? When he just said, I am, which is a redemptive name of God, it says it knocked all of them over. The power of God. The natural came in contact with the supernatural and it knocked them all over. And you saw Jesus, there was no fear, there was no weakness, there was no anything. Well, how did he? Now, he's God, but he put all his godly attributes on the shelf and became a man and lived on this earth as a man. He lived on this earth as a man anointed by God. And you see that he regularly withdrew himself to go into that secret place with his father. Well, now he's saying, guys, I'm leaving and where I'm going, you can't come, but I'm gonna send you another comforter. But let me explain to you this new place that I'm preparing for you of communion with the Father. I believe that this is what's missing in so many believers' lives. We're trying to live for God as a peripheral thing, and it's not really working. We're not seeing the signs, wonders, and miracles. We're, we're, we're judging and gossiping each other. You know, we're dividing churches. We're doing all kinds of silly things. It's because we're letting our sin nature and our flesh govern us instead of these impartations that God wants us to make wants to make in our life. So, Jesus knew this would be the last time that he would be with his disciples until after he was resurrected. In John chapter 18, why don't you turn over there? This going to kind of I'm going to kind of take you through the whole gospel of John today. Don't worry, we won't be here all day. So, I'll get you home by Sunday night football. No, I'm just teasing, I'm teasing. John chapter 18, verse 1. It says, 
John chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where there was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples did not know that this would be the last time that they would be with Jesus. They didn't know all this. Now, if we jump back to John chapter 13, let's go back to John chapter 13 in verse 1. Let's just take you through some of these chapters because I want you to see the importance of this secret place. In John 13, 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So he knew his hour had come. And you know, I would get this whole thing out of your vocabulary about death. This earth is like a giant airport. We have arrivals every day, people being born, and we have departures. Nobody is ceasing to exist. And and eternity is a lot like real estate. You've heard me say that before. Everything is location, location, location. You don't want to step out of your body and go into the earth and be lost forever, right? No, you want to, when you step out of your body, you want to be with the Lord because you've accepted him as Lord and Savior. Going to a church won't get you into heaven, right? Giving doesn't get you into heaven. You must be born again. Man doesn't go to hell because he's bad and doesn't go to heaven because he's good, right? Man doesn't go to hell or heaven based on behavior. You go there, and this is the secret, it's based on nature. If you're spiritually dead, you can only go and be identified with spiritual death and and see God's not going to send you to hell. He'll just honor your request to go there. I go to heaven not because I'm good, but because I've been made new. In other words, if you're born once, you're going to have to die twice. But if you're born twice, I was born physically, and then I was born again spiritually, I'll only taste death once, and by that I just mean separation. Right, So this is, this is the reality, and Satan doesn't want people to know this. Because you have some people that will sit there and go, well, i gotta, I got to figure my life out before I come to God. Oh, no, 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 no. When you, when you come to God, you realize the freedom that you have when you realize, you know what, I can't change myself. Thank God. I don't have to start, I, I can stop trying to change myself. But as I peer into the word of God, he'll transform me into his image. When you realize it's all God, it helps you walk free. So John chapter 13, verse 1, he's saying that he knew his hour had come. In other words, Jesus became aware by the Holy Spirit sometime before going to Jerusalem that his time was here now that he had to go to the cross. In John 13, verse 2, Satan puts into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Then in John chapter 13, verses 3 through verse 17, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Verse 18 through verse 32, Jesus speaks of Judas's betrayal of him. Okay? So let me, in in, in verse 33, verses 33 through verse 38, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to a place and that they cannot follow him there right then. So it's right here that Jesus, all of a sudden, these disciples are like, Jesus, you're our life. What do you mean you're leaving and and where you're going, we can't go? Think about that. And it's right in this passage of Scripture. You know John 16, 33 and 34, don't you? 
He gives us a new commandment that we are to love each other the way he loves us, unconditionally, right? So it's right there that he does this. So now, with you, you could keep your finger there. I'm going to read to you Matthew's account. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. It's Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. Matthew's account says this, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. That's how clear Jesus said things. In John chapter 3, in verse 14, it's said this way, And as Moses lifted up the serpent, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus is telling his disciples, Listen guys, I'm leaving, and I'm going to a place you can't come right now. So now, John chapter 14, verse 1. Look at this. Look at what he says right after he just gives them this huge news. They're probably all going, wait a minute, we have, we've been with you, you're our everything for three years, and you're leaving? Right? Then he says this in verse 1, just the way God always is. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This word let means don't allow your heart to be troubled. Do you realize you can literally make a choice to never allow your heart to be troubled? You're in control of that. Let not your heart... Now, this word heart is literally, in the Greek language, it's dealing with the feeling and thought realm. It's dealing with your soul. So it's saying, don't let your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions be troubled. The word troubled means to stir and to agitate. Satan is going to throw thoughts. He'll use circumstances. He'll use people, right? to try to stir or agitate your mind, your will, and your emotions. Jesus is telling his disciples, because he knows what they're going to see. They're going to see Jesus be taken, beaten, scourged, crucified. They're going to see him die. And he's saying, listen guys, don't let, don't let this move you. You believe in God, now I'm asking you guys to believe in me. He's saying, once again, like Jesus always does, he's saying, believe me. Don't believe what you see. You believe my word. You see that? Okay, so we're laying a foundation. This is a life, this is a life principle. The disciples, no doubt, are blown away by the statement that Jesus is leaving them. Jesus like he always does, he speaks directly to the fears and the concerns that are flooding the disciples' minds right now. This is, then chapter 13 ends. Jesus, look at how though in the middle of all this, Jesus places the burden and the responsibility of faith, of trust, of courage, and of confidence. He places the responsibility and burden of that on them. Why? Because God can't violate your will. So in the midst of all of it, God, Jesus is saying, listen, guys, it's up to you to have faith in me, to trust me, to have confidence in me. Don't let what you see move you. This is huge. Do you know what peeps people out of the secret place? Circumstances in their life. If, if the enemy, see, he doesn't care about you. Satan doesn't care about you. But he comes but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He can't kill and destroy unless he steals. Well, what does he try to steal? He tries to steal the word of God. If he can get you 
not looking at the word of God and looking at your circumstances, he'll have an open door to come and kill and destroy things in your life. But if you refuse to believe what you see and feel, but you choose to just anchor in and say, I believe God. Now, you can't do this in your own strength. The Bible says if you stay in a position of hearing the word of God, you'll stay in a position of faith. Faith comes by hearing God's word. You could live immovable. We have to. So verse 2 of John chapter 14. In my father, now look at this, right after he tells them he's leaving, look at what he says. Now remember, he's talking to them. About, these are his closing statements. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. So let's break this down. In my father's house, I'm going to try to say this Greek word. Oikia, oikia is the Greek word. Oikia, oikia. It means in my father's estate. It means in my father's habitation are many mansions. This is the Greek word monet. This is the only time in the New Testament that it's translated mansion. Every other time, this word actually means abode. It means an individual abiding place. In my Father's habitation, there are many individual abiding places. It's the secret place. Now, do you think we're going to have a mansion or a home in heaven? I don't doubt it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, part of the blessing of the law was that you have houses. I don't doubt that we'll have that. But I got to tell you, I could care less about that. I want the habitation within his presence, the abiding place within his presence. And, and you know, that's going to be great in heaven. But I have to have that now. He's saying, guys, in my father's house, in my father's habitation, there's many individual abiding, abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he says this, I go to prepare a place for you. See, when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, bore every sin in my life, the sin nature that, was, that had me held, every curse of the law that was upon my life, all sickness, all poverty, all lack, all emotional problems, everything was placed on him so that he could provide a place, an individual abiding place for me on this earth where I can step into this place in my Father's presence and be changed. This is the place of faith. It's the place of strength. It's the place where you're going to find God's plan and purpose for your life. It's the place where you're going to get to know who you are. And Satan does not want you in this place. This is called the inner court. This is you and God. And when you're in the inner court in this abiding place, God's presence is on the outside working everything out in your life while you're simply in the inner place. But if you never get in that inner place, you're always going to be trying to work your stuff out. You're going to be thinking, you know what, I don't have to read my Bible today. You're living in an outer court. And it's time that we stop playing church. Now, I know we don't play church around here. Gosh, you could sense the hunger for everybody. But I got to tell you guys, it's time for the church to be the church. You know the world's standing up and being the world, right? It's time for the church to be the church. Not this judgmental thing. No, 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 no. People that walk in strength and love and have the ability to love everybody. Have the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover because they're not about themselves and they believe in the name of Jesus. 
people that will humble themselves, resist the devil and see him flee. Realize this, people's not your enemy. It's always Satan behind the scenes. And we have, we have to we have to learn how to live the way we're supposed to live. And we learn it in this secret place. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where, it says in the King James, whither, it means where. And where I go you know, and the way you know. This is referring to the secret place of intimate communion Jesus was going to the cross to purchase for us. He is referring to the veil being torn from the holy place to the holy of holies, and now we have new access. In other words, Jesus is saying, where I am spiritually, there you can be too. Wow. Do you see how so many times religion, it's when I get to heaven, then it's all going to be okay. But that's not Bible. Eternal life is not going to start when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life started when you believed in your heart what the Word says and confessed with your mouth. Jesus, based on what I believe, I believe what you said. Therefore, I, I profess with my mouth. I confess, you are Lord of all and you are my Lord. And now I open my heart. Come make me new. That's when eternal life started for you. And all the attributes of eternal life. Hallelujah. Jesus is saying, where I am. Now understand this. The spiritual standing, the authority, and the power I enjoy, you too can experience. Doesn't that fit with the rest of Scripture? It fits with every one of the epistles. There has always been an intended destination. God Everything about the temples that were built, that was not God's ultimate destination. He wanted to, he, the temple has always been, the destination has always been in man's spirit. You and I, the Bible says, are the temple of the living God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The blood of Jesus redeeming us from sin and also, see, it redeemed us from sin, but it redeemed us to the kingdom of God, the presence of God, this secret place, this habitation, this abiding place within his presence. See, we have heaven's reward tomorrow, but we have the secret place today. Got to know that. This passage of scripture is not referring to heaven. It just doesn't. It doesn't fit, but it really fits if you study it right. Verse 5 of chapter 14. From verse 5 to verse 11, we have this little interaction between Philip and Jesus where Jesus tells Philip, Philip, you know, Philip goes, hey, Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been so long with you and you're asking me to show you the Father? And then he says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you know as the Father had called Jesus, Jesus says, in the same way I'm calling you? See, you need to tell people. You need to tell people, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. You know, I, I had to go, uh, I was in a doctor's office, and, and I was sitting there waiting, and I had to pick something up, and, and, uh, and there was this... Uh, a little Hispanic lady came in with her daughter, and you could tell she was very sick. And so, you know, I went and just did my thing and, and then left. And uh, as I was walking out, this lady, this, this little lady just looked up at me. And man, as soon as she looked at me, it just connected with the Spirit of God in my heart. 
And, and so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I had to run into another meeting like always, right? Didn't have time, but man, it connected with my heart. You need to go lay hands on her. And you know, you're in a doctor's waiting area. And of course, the little Hispanic lady was sitting in a chair that was three feet from the counter where they check everybody in, and it was full of people. And so, you know, me being the man of God that I am, you know, I'm thinking of the 50 reasons why I don't have time to do this, <laughs> right? And so I, I walk out the door, and my spirit is going, what are you doing? Right? And I walk, I walk out the second door, what are you doing? And then I, I walked out that door, and I had to walk around the building to get to my car. I shouldn't turn this way, because the back of my head still looks a little ridiculous, but that's okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, but I really don't care what people think, so that's all good. <laughs> So I used to, big time, man, that's bondage. Um, so I'm, I'm and, and, and just my spirit is going, what are you doing? Freely you've received, freely give. And they that believe on the name of Jesus will go lay hands on the sick. So I'm like, of course, thank God my heart's full of the word because it'll get you back where you're supposed to be. And I walked up to this little Hispanic lady and I said, you know, I, I said, listen, I go, I go, I'm a Christian. And, and, and the daughter was there, and I said, you know, I could tell you're not feeling very well. And, and would you mind if I laid hands on you? I said, the Bible says that Jesus loves you and that he died, and he was made sick with your sicknesses. And, and, and when I lay hands on you as a believer, that the healing power of God will go into your body and start working and affecting a cure in you. I go, would, would you allow me to do that? And this lady, this, this little lady sitting there going, oh yeah, I, I, I really would like that. And she didn't care and her daughter's like starting to tear up, you know, and everything. And, and you know, I simply just laid hands on her, just prayed and you could just sense it was just like the anointing was there. This is what God wants to do in this earth. But you won't do it. You'll live way down here caring what other people might think. Right? I'm so glad because I could have left. And, and here's, here's so many believers. Hey, I know Jesus is my healer. Right? Man, you want to walk in the blessing of God? Get your eyes off of you. And that's what I love about the secret place is it gets your eyes off of you. Get you living out of your spirit. Praise God. So it says here, so he has this interaction with Philip, and then in verse 12 it says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, or the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father." And what's now, now think about these disciples listening to this. Greater works? John is like, man, if, if you wrote everything down Jesus did, the books of the world could not contain it. And now Jesus is telling these guys, hey, where I'm going to go, you can't go, but I'm going to go prepare a place for you in my, in my Father's presence. I'm going to provide a, an individual abiding place for you in his habitation. And now the byproduct of this is the works that I do, greater works are you going to do. Wow. And whatsoever, verse 13, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The Holy Spirit said two times in one verse, listen, if you ask in my name, I will do it. Do you think he's trying to get a point across to these disciples and to these disciples today? Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. This is another, an allos comforter, one who's exactly like me. Another comforter. It's the Greek word parakletos, one called alongside to help, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, 
for he dwells with you. See, he was telling his disciples, you know him because he's been dwelling with you. But guess what? He's going to be in you. Right? I will not leave you comfortless. Comfortless, I will come to you. Verse 19 actually verses 19 through verse 25, Jesus speaks of keeping his word and him abiding with them. So he tells the importance of us keeping his word. You're never going to be able to walk out God's plan for your life without keeping his word. Verse 26, talking about the Holy Spirit, and he shall teach you all things and shall bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Verse 27, peace. Now look at this. Jesus also says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, so it's, not, it's unconditional. Give I unto you. And then he says again, again another time, let not your heart, don't let the feelings and your thought realm, your emotions, Don't let them be agitated and stirred up. Neither let your your soul be afraid. Do you know you don't ever have to be afraid again? Do you know the only time you're ever afraid is if you will let it happen and you don't have to let it happen? I'm going to read the amplified version of verse 27. It really brings out some awesome things. It says, Peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed, and do not permit yourself to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. In other words, Jesus is telling these guys, get a grip on yourself And don't allow your heart to trouble, to be troubled and agitated. Now in verses 28 through verse 31, Jesus speaks of going to the Father and then sending the Holy Spirit. And then right after this, Jesus tells his disciples, okay, get up and follow me to the Garden of Gethsemane. So now let's look at John chapter 15. There's this progression John chapter 15, verses 1 through verse 8, the fruit spoken of is answered prayer. You can go back and read that. Answered prayer, in other words, is to be the norm in the life of a disciple and a believer. You should expect all your prayer to be answered. 1 John tells us that. God intends the miraculous, to be the norm. That's The the miraculous should be the norm to you and I. So now verse 4, John chapter 15, verse 4, it says, abide in me. Abide in me. This means it refers to a place where you remain and dwell continually. This word abide in the Greek has a sense of permanency. He's saying, I want you to abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, And then he says this, for without me, you can do nothing. Wow. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask. And this word ask means you shall call for, you shall require, you shall make a demand for what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So in other words, God literally is instructing us to make a a place, a permanent place of dependency and communion with him. That's what he wants for your life. He wants you to abide in him. If we don't, 
This scripture is telling us we will not be able to produce results in our life. In the same way, you know, I think I had a, I, I, I had something up here. Was it a blower or something, right? And remember when I pulled the battery off the blower, how it didn't work? See, the minute you unplug from the branch or from the vine, you're the branch. The minute you do, you can't produce anything. And you could say, well, no, I've done some things in my life, yeah, and, and God calls it nothing. He won't talk about it in eternity. It won't really amount to anything. We have to stay hooked up with him. What happens when we get too busy to spend time with God and we spend time with him in prayer, communing with him, and in his word, we become the minute, see, if, I, if I'm too busy to spend time with him, I'll become preoccupied with natural earthly things every time. Every time. When we disconnect from God, we begin to wither spiritually. What do I mean by that? It means we know what we're supposed to do, but we just don't do it. And if we stay there for a while, we will justify everything, and all of a sudden, we will think we're doing the right thing. Right? I go to church once every three, four months, but hey, you know what? I get online and I listen. And you'll think you're okay. Right up until your family falls apart, your business falls apart, everything's not working in your life. Right? That's just what happens. We all know that because we've been there. So God's saying, don't do that. He's telling his disciples, listen, you got to stay hooked up with me. We lose the capacity for spiritual action. If I get too busy, I'm not going to turn around at that doctor's office and go back and lay hands, which is the most important thing. Or I'll be a preacher that is going to minister, and I'm in an airport, and my flight is delayed. And I'm going to minister to people, and if, if I'm preoccupied with my life, I will rip the customer service agent at American Airlines up one side and down another, you know, while I'm going to minister to people. How stupid is that? <laughs> right? We do crazy things, but we don't have to. Man, I refuse to let my mind be agitated and stirred by the enemy. I refuse to give him access to my tongue so that I speak death over somebody instead of speak life. Hallelujah. You guys doing okay? I feel like I just got really intense there. This is, this is a good thing, isn't it? The reason something seems dry, the reason why spending time with God seems dry is that it doesn't flow out of a heart that's in union and communion with God. If you haven't been spending time, just try it. You'll go into that secret place and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I've been spending 19 hours with God and you look at your watch and it's been three minutes. Because <laughs> many, many believers don't, they don't know how to even commune with God because all they do is confess their sins and ask God to help them. And that's it. And then they're out. And most people never get to know who he really is. And that, I, I mean, I love the song we sang today. You gotta know that when you're in the waters, that he's holding them back. You gotta know that he's in the fire with you. You gotta know that, man, when I'm in a battle, praise God, I know that's right where he'll be, always. A living connection with God, it can't be stored up. We have to daily stay in vital union with him. See, we, come, we become spiritually barren when we don't do that. So we must make up our minds to abide in him and then center on the fact that when we abide in him, he abides in us and enables us to bear much fruit. So if you're fellowshipping with the world... Fear will always manifest. It'll always come out. 
If you're fellowshipping with God, faith will always come out. Realize that. Satan realizes that. And he'll do everything to try to keep you in a right environment, away from anything that could help you grow spiritually, because he'll be able to keep you in fear. He'll be able to keep you beaten down. And here's the thing. He, see, in, in, in life, sometimes you just think everything's okay. But it's, it's not compared to what God has for you. That's why the Bible says, taste and see, right? By an act of your will, you let what Jesus has put on the inside of you, you let that manifest on the outside. This is huge. God is telling his disciples, I want you to separate yourself from all the distractions of this present life. Now, this is not saying we don't ever ask him about our needs, but we got to prioritize. But if you think about it, man, I don't care how messed up your life is. It won't take you very long to list everything you need. And then you just believe you receive, and then all that's left to do is thank him now. Because the Bible says if you, if you pray anything according to his will, you know he hears you, and you know you have what you've asked him for. John 15, verse 9 as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, if you look at John chapter 15, in those first 13 verses, it speaks that through abiding in a relationship with God and a place of intimate communion with the Father, he's saying that all kinds of fruit will be born in your life. Then in, in verses 14 through verse 17, Jesus says he now calls them friends. After he tells them, listen, by abiding in me, you're going to bear all your fruit. Then he calls them friends. In verse 15, all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. John chapter 15, verse 16. Then he said, look at, look at what he says here. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Verses 18 through 25 of John chapter 15, Jesus tells them that if the world hated him, the world's going to hate you also. In verse 26 and verse 27, Jesus tells them that when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll always be able to tell it because he's going to testify of Jesus. And then we jump into John chapter 16. Is this helping you today? I'm kind of just flowing to give you a picture here. In verses 1 through 4, Jesus speaks again of the world hating him and us. Boy, if you look at everything going on in this country right now, everything going on in the world right now, this is all a spiritual battle for the souls of men. Right? Everything is about that. In verses 5 through verse 33, Jesus speaks of them being sorrowful and scattered because he is leaving. He's telling them what's going to happen before he leaves. He tells them, guys, you're going to be sorrowful and you're going to be scattered. Interesting. Jesus also encourages them that they will see him again. Jesus says that his peace will be with them. Look at John 16, 13. It says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he'll guide you into all the truth. Verse 15, all things that the Father hath are mine, Therefore I said, he shall take of mine and show it to you. Verse 23, and in that day, he says, you'll ask me nothing. In what day? In the day after he goes to the cross. Everything changes when he comes out of that grave. In that day, you'll ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Verse 24, hitherto, or that, that literally means up till now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask why? 
and you shall receive, why? That your joy may be full. And then he goes into chapter 17. Verses 1 through verse 26, Jesus prays for his disciples and all those that would ever believe in him, which is us. Jesus speaks of being one with us and abiding with us in intimate communion. Now this is coming to the end of what Jesus is saying to his disciples before he goes to the cross. Look at what he focuses on. He, start, he not only is praying for them, he, he goes beyond them and he draws now, he draws us in 2019 right into this. And it says, he speaks to us about, listen guys, I'm preparing a place where you'll be one with me. Where you could have intimate communion with me, with the Father, with the mighty Holy Spirit. Verse, verse 18, it says this, And thou hast sent me into the world, even so I, have, I also sent them into the world. So now Jesus is praying. Jesus has sent you and I into the world. Oh, you might be disguised as something else, but you are a full-time minister of the gospel. God's got a plan for your life. And if you will get your eyes off of you and onto him, you'll fulfill his plan and purpose for your life. And he'll, oh, he'll take care of all those natural things. Way beyond what you can imagine. Verse 22. And the glory, he's saying this to the Father. He's praying. I wonder if this prayer is answered. All Jesus' prayers were answered, right? And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. What? Jesus just said that the glory that the Father gave him, he gave you and I. Do you know when, see, God, he's done everything by his grace. Do you know if grace was a, was a, a tree, glory would be the fruit? As you receive those things given to you by the grace of God, what it produces coming out of your life is the glory. It's the same glory. God, John said this at the beginning of, of the Gospel of John. He said, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And you and I are to walk that same way. And the key to walking that way is to being in this individual abiding place in his presence where he imparts things to you. Oh, you're stronger than you'll ever know. Because your strength is not yours, it's, it's his. In this place, you peer into him and you become like him. Whenever you go anywhere... He always causes you to triumph. Your Father will always cause you to triumph and leave a fragrance of the knowledge of God wherever you go. I love that. We have to do that, guys, because people's knowledge of God right now is this. God's judging me. He's mad at me. God blesses some and not others. And none of that's in the Bible. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. The Bible says God is good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his works. The Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. See, we, got, we, we want that message to ooze out of us, right? Hallelujah. The glory which you gave me, I have given them. Why? that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am. Look at this. Look at this wording. Knowing the context, Father, I will that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am. Do you know you can be where Jesus is right now? Wow. That they may behold my glory. See, you're to live your life beholding his glory. You see that in this place. 
which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. See, Jesus is showing them this place of total access. Oh, don't ever think God doesn't hear you. He's always looking at you. He's always in your life. How and where to obtain and acquire this complete deposit of his promises. It's in the secret place. See, you have no reason to pursue that that which you don't know about. That's why Jesus spent so much time. He spent so much time so that they would know. And that's why I'm going to live in this word. Because I want to know him. So now, Jesus prays three times that they may be one, even as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. He prays three times for this, right in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is conveying things that the natural mind can't even begin to comprehend. They are so important that Jesus repeats them over and over. This is his final statements. If we had an important message to convey, we'd repeat that emphasis, right? So that we were not misunderstood. This is what Jesus was doing. The secret place relationship and resulting empowerment from being in that place is the key to the legacy of Jesus' departure. This is everything. This whole thing. Jesus went to the cross to provide a place for you. In this place, man, I love the secret place because it's the place where Tony Finley finally was able to get over himself. Because if you don't get over yourself, you're going to be thinking you're all that. And you're going to think it's all up to you. And when you're doing good, that'll be great. But when you face something that's bigger than you, that can kill you, that can destroy, when, when all of a sudden when you mess up, you're going to be a mess because it's all about you. Let me, let me put your mind at ease. It's all about Jesus. Right? And you're one with him. Oh, he's Lord of all. Right? But I'm in him. He's in me. The secret place is wonderful. If we had this place as the foundation of our lives, I wonder who we would become. Look at, look at a couple promises in closing here. Hallelujah. I want to read a few scriptures to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Look at some of these promises. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You've been blessed right now as you're sitting here with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In Ephesians 2, 6, it says, And God hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 9 and 10. Look, this is talking about your path. It says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. And this word heart, again, is dealing with your soulish realm. Neither has entered into the mind of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Notice it says, hath prepared. God already, before you were ever born, he already went before your life and everything the, everything you'll need in life, every healing, every strength, every peace, all the provision, it's already been set up for you. Wow. The things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And then it says here, Although it's not entered your mind, so you've got to keep reading because religion will take this scripture and go, see, you just never know what God's going to do. No, no, keep reading, Mr. Theologian. Right? Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says this. 
whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Second Peter, I'll close with this. Second Peter chapter 1. I know you guys want to go two more hours, but I really, I've got to close, okay? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, how do they come to us? Through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. That word means excellence. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be a partaker of his divine nature. Oh, don't ever minimize who you are. Praise God. I know I've gone a little long today, but was it not worth it? God loves you and has a plan for your life. And there's fruit for you to bear, and our time is short. And while you're out doing your thing for him, he will increase every area of your life. You could take that to the bank because God said it. Oh, I'm so thankful. Our better days are ahead of us. Right? Your path is one of increase, so rejoice in that.